0: Well, hello guys, how are y'all doing? What is up? Man, it's good to see your face. I'm just so excited because it's Baptism Sunday. I'm so excited. It's, it's a celebration and that's why we have Jack Weekly. He's our resident celebrator something, whatever you call that. We'll make it, you won't get paid, but anyway. But I love Baptism Sunday because it's a picture of what Christ can only do. New life a new start, breaking chains, the blood of Jesus that washes away all sin, an eternal security to say, Christ has saved me and I will follow him the rest of my life. So I'm really, really excited this morning to share in baptism. But today we want to continue our series on the discipleship pathway. And I want to direct your eyes on this wall because you probably don't even remember that it's there, but there's that little poster guy over there, and there's one over here, and there's one on the way to the restroom. Now, I know you all, you run into the restroom, you don't even see it, and I don't blame you, but here's the deal stop and look at it. Because look, we've been called to follow Jesus, but without a path, without an end goal, we're just wandering around, and we don't know what we're saved for. Do you realize he didn't just save you, he saved you for something, right? He saved you for something. And that's the something we're talking about, to not only be a disciple, but to make disciples. So we're continuing our series called The Discipleship Pathway. And I want to say from the get-go, how many of you are watching the announcements? Three of you. Awesome. So you're going to know what to do. That's amazing. You need to text to get into a group. And at Next Steps, you can find out more information And you also got one of these when you came inside. Did you get one of these? Yes, this side got them. This side, they don't know what is even why are you here? Just joking. I'm so glad you're here. Did anybody get one of these on this side? Raise your hands if you didn't get one and Jamie is gonna come around and he's gonna get you one of these. Because listen, listen, how many of you are like, man, I just wanna hear from God. I just want to hear from God. Why am I not hearing from God? It's because Jesus saved us for something. To be in this thing called the church that he loves and to be with each other. You can't do life alone. You, can I say that again? You can't do life alone, and Jesus saved you to be in this beautiful thing called the body of Christ, and he is the head of the church, and we're not perfect, but we serve a perfect Savior, amen? All right, so we should get into this, because I'm going way off script. So the first thing we talked about, we talked about the Sunday morning gathering, and the sacredness that we forget when we come in here, it's to minister to his heart first. In the Old Testament, there were priests, and we're called a priesthood of believers. It says that the priest ministered to the Lord first. What does that mean? Because the Lord doesn't need anything, right? He's the God of the universe. It means they gave to him the praise that was due his name, and that's why we gather. Yeah, it's great when God touches our hearts and when we have truth, but we're here because the God, the creator of the universe, has called us together to worship him in spirit and in truth, and he deserves our praise. Amen? So we learned about the Sunday morning gathering and the sacredness of the Lord's church. And listen, please hear this. We cannot follow Jesus and not be part of the church. You you really need to hear that, because that's the point of this whole series, because it gets more intimate in each of the groups we're going to be talking about, but you can't follow Jesus and not be a part of his church. Then Dave spoke to us about finding community, the power of community. Listen, if you didn't listen, you need to listen to last Sunday to know the power of community, why we need each other. And then today, we're talking about making disciples. The only thing that we've been authorized to do is to make disciples by Jesus Christ himself. And then that's in a D group of three to five people. It's a D group, is a discipleship group of three to five people. And I want you to notice something. Look how the intimacy, it's gonna be really big and it's gonna get really small. So Jesus ministered to the crowd. We have a Sunday morning gathering. But look at the next thing. This is what Dave spoke about. Finding community and a focus group. Those things you got at the door, those are focus groups. You need to look at those and say, I've got to be in community. And we have men's ministry that meets every Wednesday morning that you can come to. We have women's events. And Jesus had his 12 disciples. It's a picture of a, a smaller group, right? So it started the crowd into this smaller group. And then watch this. So what we're talking about today. It's making disciples in a D group. Jesus of those 12 had three that walked with him more, even more in intimacy. They saw things the other disciples didn't see. Peter, James, and John. Who are your three? Who knows you? Who really knows your heart? Who's walking through with you through the brokenness of your marriage? Who is speaking into that addiction? Who is encouraging you to pursue the Lord with all your heart, and do not give up. Because people, we do not give up. We don't give up until we cross that line to be with Jesus. But we need brothers. If Listen, if Jesus, when he was fully God, fully man, but in his humanity, needed someone to help him pick up the cross, how much more do we need brothers and sisters around us to pick up the cross? To pick up the cross, everything in our lives that are going on to follow Christ. And then it goes on to that last one. Then we live sent. God has called us to make disciples, to evangelize, to go into all the world, but to do it together. See, that's the key to all these. It's together. I hope you're hearing that. We need each other. So here's the deal. 90% of Jesus' teaching and discipling was not done in a gathering like this. It was done relationally. And that's the key to discipleship, relationships relationally. It was 12 men, and specifically he set aside three of them, Peter, James, and John, to disciple. Now listen, they weren't his favorites. They weren't yes men. They were messed up. But he chose three of them to walk and see things no one else saw, but they were part of the pattern he gave us from his own life to model these discipleship relationships that every one of us needs to be in. And I want you to think of the few of the experiences Peter, James, and John had. Think of this. And the other nine, I had to like add in my head. I'm like, how many other disciples were there after three? I know that sounds crazy. Got to go back and do some arithmetic apparently. So there was nine that didn't get to experience these things. So when Jesus, he, one of his first miracles is he healed Peter's mother-in-law. But did you know he only took Peter, James, and John in there? And he told them, don't tell anybody right now. There was a confidentiality he had with those three. And then in Mark 5, 3 3 through 7, Jesus actually, there's a resurrection of a little girl. He puts a prayer shawl on her, and she rises again. He says, don't tell anybody. Following that event, Jesus brought those three, Peter, James, and John, up to a holy mountain, it says, where he transfigured, which means they saw him in his glorified state. See, there was increasing trust that grew between these four men that resulted in a greater bond and deeper intimacy. Think of this one. In the garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus goes to the cross, he took those three a little further. See, they could see the blood going down his brow. They could hear him agonizing and calling out to the Father. They were there with him. See, remember Jesus, fully God, fully man, But in his humanity, Jesus, the son of God, needed close friends. The savior cultivated close relationships and confidentiality. See, Jesus gave these men access to his identity, his power, his pain. Trusting that they would keep his confidence and they would be there for him. Let me say this. I want to make a bold statement here. If the Son of God, the one person who would not need others in his life because he's in perfect relationship with the Father in heaven, if the Son of God needed people in cultivating close friendships, we do too, right? We do too. So here's the question of the day that I want to talk to you about. Who are your three? Who are the individual's? That you're pouring your life into to a deeper level than anyone else. And this is the the next question. Who is pouring into you? See, I think our fear is, I can't be in a group like that. I'm not good enough. Or I don't know enough Bible. Or I haven't been around church long enough. Whatever it is. And we think we're the only ones that share those fears. Or we think, man, I've got this certain sin. What if they knew this sin? But then when we get into those groups when we trust God and step out into the relationships he wants us to, we find we're in the same boat, that others are in the same boat as us, that we share each other's burdens and we press in towards holiness in Christ Jesus. Listen, Peter and James and John were not discipleship material. Think about it. Even within the 12 themselves, the dis- other disciples, there were better. Remember, there's, if you see in The Chosen, there's the karate guy. At least Jesus would have known he was disciplined, right? And there was Matthew, he could do all the money. Man, Peter, James, and John, why choose them? Listen, he chose James, knowing that James would be the first martyr of the church, yet he discipled him. And he said, come, be with me. Who are your three? But think about these guys. They were rash. They often missed the point. They spoke out of turn. Peter was often loud-mouthed and angry, yet when he messed up, he was super depressed and defeated. Been there, done that, right? How many of us can relate to the blundering disciples? I love that the scriptures are so real. James and John were, were nicknamed by Jesus. The sons of thunder should tell you a little bit about their personalities. They wanted to call down fire from heaven To blast a a town of Samaritans who refused Jesus. Jesus like, I don't think that's a good idea, guys. Sons of thunder, let's back it up a little bit. Back that bird up and let's talk about this. But they're also the ones who put themselves, so listen to this, James and John, they put themselves forward as the ones who should sit at Jesus' right hand and at his left hand in his kingdom. What were they doing? They were vying for power and position, everything opposite of Jesus' kingdom and what he's been trying to teach them. Yet there they are. Oh, gotta be in a place of power and position. And here's what's so funny. They send mama to ask Jesus about it. <laughs> what, what, who are these guys? See, I love that, that Jesus considered John, the beloved disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved, since love was actually absent in John at first. Have you ever thought about that? But see, they had one thing, willingness. To say yes to Jesus, even though they got it wrong. Even though they got it wrong, sometimes minute by minute it seemed like, and you can relate to that, right? And Jesus saying, follow me. Get back up. Follow me. You've been out of church a while. Get back up. Follow me. You're in a D group that maybe collapsed. Get up. Follow me. You're looking to get into a group. I know you're scared. Follow me. We have to follow. We got to be willing. See, Jesus takes us knowing we will not walk this discipleship journey out perfectly. Remember, we serve a perfect Savior. We're not perfect. I want you to think about this again. Peter, James, and John, through those events I told you about, two of the most important events that they got to be part of, they fell asleep. Some of you are falling asleep right now. Wake up. At home. I don't know what you're doing at home wake up. But man, these guys were real. They weren't discipleship material, yet they were with the Savior. Yet they had willingness. They kept going even when they got it wrong. But I want you to watch the shift. The shift that happens in the book of Acts, Peter and John, they've been cowering at the resurrection, then Holy Spirit comes, and it's this shift Peter, the one who cowered before a little girl around a fire before Jesus was crucified and said, I do not know him. and Denied Jesus three times, the same Peter. And then John are brought before the same religious leaders they feared after the resurrection. But now they're preaching. Now they're bold. Watch what it says about them. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, Ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that they had been, this is the last part, this is what matters, that they had been with Jesus. They were amazed at the boldness and knowledge. They were ordinary men, unschooled, who had been with Jesus. Listen, you may be ordinary, but when you're with Jesus together in a D group, together with the church family, you are transformed in the body of Christ. Listen, you can't grow as a disciple without other disciples. If they needed each other, we need each other. See, we need to shift from this. We need to shift from a mentality that says, it's just me and Jesus, to it's us and Jesus. But here's what I want you to hear. Jesus chose 12 disciples, right? And he entrusted them, the savior of the world, the one that breathes life, the creator of all things. He entrusts the gospel to go to the world with 12 men. It's his plan for us to also go and make disciples. And think about it. It's the one thing Jesus authorizes us to do. Go and make disciples. You see, we tell people, Robbie Galati says this, we tell people what they're saved from, right? Right? What are we saved from? Eternal hell, separation from God. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But we don't tell people what they're saved for. And here's what we're saved for. It's the only thing he authorized us to do. Make disciples. Some hear discipleship and they hear anti-evangelism. And evangelism, it's telling others about Jesus, how they can receive salvation. But nothing can be further from the truth. Evangelism is, is, evangelism is part of disciples and making discipleship. They're not opposed to one another. Listen, salvation is not the finish line. You don't get saved and say, I'm gonna check out until I go to heaven. It's not the the finish line. It's the starting line of following Jesus, picking up your cross, denying yourself, and going all in with Jesus. But here's going all in with Jesus. It's also going all in with your brothers and sisters in Christ. As messed up as they are, so are we, right? But we're all in. Some hear discipleship. They get fearful. And they're trying to do it on their own. But you need others. I love what Bill Holt said. He said, everyone who is called to salvation is also called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. We are here. Listen, because we kind of confuse our purpose. We go to this job or that job. My wife just got a new job. Praise God. It's it's amazing. But we forget why we're here. We're here to make a difference for all eternity. When we stand before the Lord as a church, did we make a difference for all eternity? When you stand before the Lord, did you make a difference for all eternity? But listen, the key to that is doing it together. It's not me on my own and maybe Jesus will come along. It's us together making a difference. And here's the key. Here's the key to making a difference for all eternity. Healthy disciples. The problem is we are not disciples who make other disciples who then go out and change the world. You see, everything Jesus did is predicated on disciples making disciples. That's why we gotta be a church of this. It's based on our obedience. God sent you to TBA sovereignly so you could live out that pattern of discipleship and grow as a disciple, be a disciple and make disciples. See, it's a discipleship mentality. I love what, I think it's Paul. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. But I know what we do. We read that and we say, oh, Johnny's better at leading other people in discipleship than I am. I remember reading about a church and it was in, I think it was in the Philippines. And they couldn't control just the growth that was happening. Christ was just breaking out on the people and they knew we gotta get them discipled. We gotta get them discipled. And they needed leaders. And so you would get saved and you read the book of Matthew maybe and they say, okay, go make a disciple. And they're like, well, wait, I've only read one book. And they're like, yeah, you're one book further in than someone else. Go grab someone. Make a disciple. And what's beautiful about these groups is you may be leading it, but you're being poured into as well. Make disciples. See, you may not feel ready to be in a D group. You may not feel ready to lead one, but you are called. No matter where you're at, you're called. Let me give you a quick definition. Discipleship making is intentionally entering into someone's life to help them know and follow Jesus and to teach them to obey his commands. You know, when Jesus said that whole make discipleship part, he said, teach them, teach them, teach them. So what is a D group logistically? So let me just quickly go through what a D group is. Because you're like, Brian, I haven't even heard of this. What, What are you talking about? But a D group logistically is three to five members. Remember that same kind of relationship Jesus had with Peter, James, and John. The leader is also a full participant. This isn't a lecturer thing. This isn't just, you're the guy with the wisdom, no one else talks. This is, we're all together, chasing after Jesus, following him. It's gender specific, and it's usually one to one and a half hours a week. And I've, mostly, I've seen most groups go along. They just go long. They meet about 12 to 18 months for the purpose of accountability an exponential spiritual growth. And here's the goal it's replication. Because discipleship doesn't stop with you. In a relay race, you know, with the batons that they're, when they're running, if you stop and you got the baton and you walk up into the crowd, what happens? You haven't passed the baton on. That's discipleship. We pass it on. That's the model Jesus gave us. We've got to be all in. See, D-groups, you might have been in one, but D-groups are not one and done. It's not been there, done that. We need each other to practice different spiritual disciplines together. We learn together, read the Bible together, pray, memorize the word together, share our faith, and receive accountability. We never stop needing those in our lives. We never graduate from discipleship. We're always a disciple and that's why you need to be in a d-group. Even if you've been in one in the past, they're all different. Many have been in a few d-groups. They can tell you they're all different. So often we, we are expecting this huge change, right? We want to change immediately. Well, I went to one d-group and I don't know. I, I, I didn't really change that much. But here's the deal. True growth isn't immediate. See, the goal of discipleship is conformity to the image of Christ And that happens over time. And I love what Robbie Galati says. He says, discipleship is a crock pot recipe, not a microwavable meal. But how many of us expect, man, suddenly I've arrived. No longer need to be a disciple. I'm there. We want that. I don't need people anymore. Had it, been done that. Me and Jesus. No, we continually need this. And it takes time. So I want to introduce to you four pillars of a D group. Listen, we believe in these so much. We, we, I wanted, we want to share these with you and encourage you to be in this. Now, there's a lot of leeway for a leader that's in the D group, okay? But there's four pillars that you need. These are pillars. Now, let me just preface this. It's not a checklist. The spiritual disciplines are not a checklist. They're for relationship, it's really important. It's really important. Because what happens is we're like, gotta read my Bible. And we're just trying to read the Bible and get through it. And we're like, did I even connect with God? Or we're like, I gotta pray 30 minutes. And you're like, somehow you make the 30 minute mark. If you're lucky. And you're like, but did I hear from God? Listen, these are not checklists. This is a relationship we're talking about. And that we do this in community. So the first is this. Bible engagement. Now, how many of you just want to be honest in here? I'm raising my hand first. Do you struggle with consistency with reading the Bible? All right, I I raised my hand. I'll raise it again. Double hands up here, okay? Yes. Now, can I just step on your toes? Because I'm really stepping on mine, okay? One of the reasons you aren't consistent with your Bible reading is because you aren't in a discipleship group. Listen, I, I've been in discipleship groups and, and there's something, even, even if you're doing pretty good with your, your, your Bible reading over here, there's something different when you journey together in the word of God. The Bible was meant to be read in community, God's community. It's so important we see, because we read the Bible as an individual and God's like, no, this is the word of God, the written word for my church, my love letters to my, my agape, my love community. Read them together. Be together in this. Man, I struggle with that consistency too. But listen, Jesus, fully God, fully man, the incarnation. But in Jesus' humanity, Jesus took time to be in the word of God and spend time with the Father. If he needed the Bible in his life and his relationship depended on it, how much more do we need it? It's our life. It's our breath. It's our food. See, I'm sure you can relate to this, because I know I can. Well, I don't hear from God. Well, God's not speaking to me. Well, here's the deal. You can't say God is not speaking to me when your Bible is closed by your bedside. You can't say I don't hear from God if you never open up your Bible app on your phone. And listen, there's no guilt or condemnation, because I know what the devil does. You hear that, and suddenly there's condemnation, right? There's no guilt and condemnation in that. You see, Satan wants you to feel guilty for not reading the Bible, but Jesus wants you to be convicted about it because he wants you to read for relationship so that when you read the scriptures, you begin to hear the Almighty's voice. Listen, it's your life. It's your life. It's your breath. It's your food. And Jesus wants you to be convicted for relationship because he's like, I just want to speak to my child. I just want to speak to my brother, my son, my daughter. I just want to speak to your heart right now. I want to give you a word that helps you make it through the end of the day because I know you're fallen. because I know you feel like you're not good enough. Let me give you a word that strengthens you, that puts your eyes off of you and onto me, child. That's what the word of God is for. Or if what happens if we start reading the Bible... You know, we've done the F260 plan. We preach through it. We use the plan in our discipleship groups. Healthy, amazing plan. But here's what happens. We start reading our Bible, but we often have the wrong mindset. See, most Christians are reading the Bible for information instead of intimacy with God. That's reading to read versus reading to apply. And it's this kind of Western thinking that we have. It's this, I can relate to this. This is, this is how we think about this. If I start a plan and I finish the plan, then that is success. Anybody relate to that? Be honest. Yes. But here's what's funny. Most of us fail, right? See, that's the wrong mindset. Plans are good. We need a plan. Those are healthy. But it's a mentality shift. See, instead of reading for information, what we do is we're reading for intimacy, It's not, I've got to get through this material. It's, I need to hear from God. So in your D group, we give you the F260 plan. But I'm not trying to finish the plan. I'm trying to spend time with a person and hear my Lord and my King. You don't want to rush relationship. What's so cool about that F260 plan is you get the weekends off to read less and digest more. See, the more you read the word of God, how many of you know this? I just want to tell you a secret because we think it's odd. You probably think you're odd sitting there. You're like, why don't I desire to read the word of God? I know you because I know me. Why don't I desire to read the word? Let me just give you a secret. It's kind of a lean in moment, maybe. You can lean halfway if you want, if you just want to get some exercise. All right, I'll lean in. Your flesh will never want anything to do with the word of God. You're not strange You're not weird. Your flesh, no matter what you do, will never love and want to read the word of God. But if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And as you follow the spirit and not your flesh, suddenly, I don't know if you remember the Taco Bell ads. They had, I'm kind of guilty of going to this, but you remember the fourth meal Taco Bell advertised? It was like your fourth meal at like 11, they don't even let them air it in again because everybody got diabetes or something. So, but see, that's what happens with the word of God. When you start to put the flesh under and walk in the spirit and you read the word of God, suddenly you have this hunger that you didn't even realize you had because it's God's spirit helping you. And then you love it and you're like, I want my fourth mil, I want my fifth mil, I want my sixth mil. Because you're like, I'm hearing God. He wants you to, to read for relationship and you'll have a fresh word Listen, I want a fresh word from God. I don't know about you, but I hunger. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. They will be filled. Listen, it's this this hunger that He's created in us that He says, I promise I'll fill it. I'll fill it. Just keep going. I know you failed with that plan. It's okay. At least you tried, son. At least you tried, daughter. Come on, read it again. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but I can. The next, this is the third pillar. Now listen, I wanna also, if you're in a D group and you're not doing any of these, just be sneaky and go back to your leader and say, hey, maybe we should do one of these. You know, It's not a big deal because all D groups are a little bit different, okay? But here's here's the, the next one. It's scripture memory, scripture memory. Now I know that strikes fear into the heart of man, you thought it would be like a charging elephant, but it's really when anybody asks you to memorize something, right? It strikes fears in our heart and bad memories because this is why. Because in college, you memorize a lot of things you don't even remember, right? But see, that's not the goal of biblical memorization. It's meditation. It's meditating on the word of God day and night because this is where the battlefield is. We have to renew our minds with the word of God. That's what the Bible instructs us. And I love what God said to Joshua. He commanded, Joshua... And this is his command to us, meditate on this book, the Bible, day and night, and only then will you be successful. So think of this, Jesus, the living word, in his humanity, he hid the word of God in his heart and in his mind. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't like, because you know, we hear scripture memorization, we're like, well, Jesus already had it downloaded. You know, it's like the matrix where it's like, you know, it's there. No. Yes, fully God, but remember, he remained fully God on earth, but he gave up his rights. And so in his humanity, he had to learn scripture just like you. And he had it in his heart. He had it in his heart and his mind. See, it's the word that helps us to remember truth and to respond to spiritual attacks in the Christian life. Remember when when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness three times. Do you, some of you might remember that. How did Jesus respond with three scriptures? What if he hadn't downloaded that in his heart and mind like we need to? What if we don't? What if we don't? See, do you know scripture well enough? When the flesh is telling you lies and the devil is attacking, that you can re- easily remember a scripture? See, memorization is a, a mental block for many But I believe if you trust God to help you, you can memorize and meditate on scripture. And here's why I know that. Because there's a scripture that says that you have the mind of Christ if you're born again. So when I stop operating in my flesh and I believe that I have the mind of Christ, he helps me memorize scripture. The next is prayer. Prayer is about relationship. It's not just a thing you do. It's a person to know. But it's not just with the Lord, it's with each other. The Lord's Prayer, many of you know that. You could say it right now, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You could probably say that prayer. But do you realize it's probably, really shouldn't be named the Lord's Prayer but the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus is teaching them to pray. And he says, when you pray, he's speaking to the disciples, all of them. He says this, say our Father. He didn't say my Father not as an individual, but to a community. Our Father, it's communion with Jesus. And I know the fear. Well, I don't pray like so-and-so, but do you think your Father in heaven is worried about the way you sounded or the words you used when you prayed? Or do you think he just loved that you were crying out to him or just talking to him? Of course. See, so many have such guilt about prayer. You don't have to raise a hand if this is you but you're like, I try I, I prayed two minutes and you have such guilt. But listen, there's two minutes you succeeded. Keep going. God would have you pray two minutes in sincerity than to pray to reach some time goal. It's okay to have goals. He wants you though. He wants you, not your spiritual goals. Have those goals, but you gotta remember, this is relationship. He's more interested in your heart than you accomplishing your spiritual goals. Somebody be like, well, I prayed 30 minutes. But did you connect with God? See, most of us have trouble making room for prayer. Because we believe the lie of the enemy. But here's the key, and I believe this because I've seen it. When we pray together, something happens. God answers prayer when, when we're alone. But I've seen it so many times in the church when God's people gather around a situation for whatever reason, I think it's he loves when his people are together, he moves. And the last is accountability, and we're starting to wrap it up. Accountability. This is a hard word, right? This is the key to it all, though. This is where our hearts are held accountable to live out what we're learning in our D group. Listen, life change happens in an intimate, accountable setting. You know, we're not supposed to judge each other, right? You're not supposed to judge... You hear that a lot, people throw that around, right? But you know what? You are called to be a fruit inspector for each other. Did you know that? Did you know you're supposed to be a fruit instructor for your brother or sister? See, the fruit of our lives reveals the roots in our hearts. Bad fruit, bad root, who's speaking into that? Who's speaking into the fear? Who's speaking into the anxiety? Who's holding you accountable to memorize the word of God? See, accountability is only as good as you're willing to be honest about your life and have people speak into your life. But here's the key that ties it all together that you are willing to change. That's the last part right there. That you're willing to change. You see, we need brothers and sisters to carry us, and they need us to carry them. No one gets through this life without significant wounds and scars. Who is helping you through the hardest time of your life with parenting, with that addiction? It may be something smaller than any of that, but it weighs on you. Who knows about it? Who's helping? Who's praying for you? Who's holding you accountable? How many times have you wanted to give up, but God used others in the church so that you would hold on? That's why we need these discipleship relationships. They're so crucial. Listen, We are disciples, right? We don't just go to church, we are the church. We are disciples. Discipleship is a way of life. How many of you are Baby Yoda fans? Five of you can hang out with me sometime. Just joking. If you've watched The Mandalorian or Boba Fett, what does Manda always say? This is the way. We are disciples. Discipleship is a way of life. This is the way. You can't be a growing disciple without other disciples. See, we need this. Please listen. Please listen to this. We need this because none of us are immune from falling away or sinning or from life crushing us. We all get off track and we need each other. You see, some of us need to rediscover the power of being together and with other believers Paul David Tripp says this, many of us are trying to do what, what we were never meant to do, spiritually make it on our own. Autonomous Christianity never works because, and listen to this last part, because our spiritual life was designed by God to be a community project. Man, if we could just grasp that truth, God would do an amazing work. See, there's something about being in the body of Christ that's so powerful, yet so many of us settle for less. Many of us are walking alone. Listen, the enemy of your soul wants you to be separate from each other, from the body of Christ. He'll do anything to keep us apart because that's his strategy. It's to divide and conquer. Listen to 1 Peter. It says this, "'Be sober, be vigilant, "'because your adversary, the devil, "'walks about like a roaring lion.'" seeking whom he may devour. And, I, lo- and this is the- I love this picture. That's a bad day, by the way, for this guy. But it's almost like he's in a slow trot because that's what Satan does. He just kind of likes to chase us around. And we're okay with that. Even though we're free in Christ. Even though in Jesus' name, he has no authority because of the cross. And we're just trotting along. Hey, what you doing, Bob? Haven't seen you in three months at church. Oh, it's all right, Satan's just just chasing me down. Just waiting to get eaten alive. Hopefully I taste good. No, we can't live that way. Peter's like, be sober, be vigilant. See, why is the devil called a roaring lion? Lions roar to create panic. And listen to this, to separate them from the herd. He wants to separate you from this. And he wants to paralyze you with fear, They roar to separate you and then to cause such panic and fear that you just cave in. See, I've used this many times. Maybe you've heard this before. But when you go out into the African bush among wild animals in Africa on a safari, you're usually in like a Range Rover like this. They have little or no doors, no windows. You can see that guy like standing up. It's kind of cool you're completely exposed and you're driving among wild animals and you're like, what's keeping them from killing us? But here's the deal. Lions have amazing eyesight, especially in the dark, but in the light, they have what's called para-visual. They're para-visual. They are para they can not fully see you as good as their eyes are. This is what I mean. When you are in the truck, they see you as one object. When they see that, they can't discern those four or five people in there, just like a d-group. And it looks and it can see one object. And they can't distinguish all the individuals in the truck. So as long as you're sitting down being sober and vigilant like Peter instructed us, they see the truck as one big animal. And it's too big to kill. And the vehicle stinks like that diesel smell. So they leave you alone. But here's what happens. If you step out of the truck, if you step out of community, if you step out of the church, if you don't get in a D group, if you're not in the truck, they will kill you instantly or they'll let you jog around until they finally take you down. And listen, that's also a bad day. I like that picture. He survived, I hope. <laughs> listen, you can have a pride of lions all around you. They'll be curious about it. They'll even stand on the truck itself. But they won't hurt you. They can look right at you, but cannot see you if, if you're in the truck. And I know you guys hear this, when I'm where I'm getting at. When you're in fellowship with Christ and with other believers, you're sitting in the truck and the devil can't see you. He can only see Jesus. And he knows that Jesus is too big to kill and he doesn't like how Jesus smells and he will leave you alone. But as soon as you leave the truck... As you step out of fellowship with other believers, he can attack you, and that's where many of you are. So here's what you do you run back as fast as you can, faster than this guy, to the truck, and then whoever's sitting shotgun, even though he's your brother or sister in Christ, you say, You're out, boom, not out of the truck, but just in the back seat, and you get as close to Jesus who's driving the truck. Where are you? Who has your back? Are you even in the jeep? Are you even near? Are you in that slow run and Satan's just chasing you down? Do yeah, brothers and sisters, don't live separate from the body of Christ. Man, you can come up. Man, you want that diesel smell on you? You know that diesel smell? Smells kind of gross, right? We think, but it's that smell—the aroma of Christ—when we're walking in fellowship with Christ and other believers. Man, I want to smell bad to the devil. Not to you all. But I want to smell bad to the devil. And that aroma of Christ, he hates it. See, he knows a secret. That if you will walk in Christian fellowship, if you'll be the church, he's done for. He's done for. See, he already lost on the cross, right? And time is running out for him. And now he's trying to keep us from doing what we're supposed to do, make disciples. Who has your back? Who are your three? Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you that you not called us to walk alone. The Father, even Psalm 23, you're the shepherd of the sheep, it's sheep together. And even when it says we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you're with us. Lord, we're sheep together and you're the good shepherd of the sheep. Lord, there's many that need to to just be told by you to lay down and rest. There's so many in here struggling and trying so hard that you just need to, to, to tell them to say, please, child, let me shepherd you. Let me lead you by those still waters. Let me take you to those green meadows. Let me walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. I'm with you. Lord, your your word says it in Psalm 23 that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And Father, there's some in the room that they just want a little bit of that goodness and mercy just to, to catch up to them right now. Lord, would you let it catch up to them? and remind them that it's always been pursuing them, that you're in covenant with them, that you're committed to them, even when they've not been committed, even when they've gotten out of the Jeep, even when they've been chased around by the devil. Lord, you've never given up. You're in covenant. Thank you for Jesus, Father. Thank you for the Son. Thank you for his example. Lord, I pray for the person who doesn't know you today in this room. Lord, that you would begin to draw them Father, draw them to your Son. Draw their hearts right now into your salvation that they would confess the name of Jesus. They would call on the name of Jesus and be saved. Lord, I pray for a church who rises up in discipleship, who loves your word. Give us a love for the word of God. Give us a love for the church. Give us a heart to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow you, to walk in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, Lead us. Remind us of all the words that Jesus spoke. Sanctify us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.